This is the Chester County Real Estate Podcast, bringing you the info you need to make your next move a great one. This show is brought to you by Remax Ace Realty. For show notes and links, go to acerealtypa.com slash podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Chester County Real Estate Podcast. This is the show that gives you the information you need to make your next move a great one. And today I'm sitting down with Mike Izzy, having Mike back on the show here. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about affording houses, how much you can afford, and really what what kind of house and what you should be looking for when you go to look for a house based off of what you can afford. So real quick, uh, Mike, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me today. And um, yeah, my name is Michael Izzy uh, with McLean Mortgage Corporation. I've uh, been doing loans locally here in the Chester County area for about 20 years. And I run a branch out of, out of um, Exton. Okay, cool, cool. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, so you've been, and, and are you from the area or you've been in the area for that yeah, long, right? Yeah, thanks for asking. So born and raised in Malvern, went to Great Valley High School, went to Penn State, and still live locally in Downingtown. Nice. Yeah. I guess the big question that I always get is people saying, "Well, how much? How much? How much can I afford?" Or uh, if we're talking about like from like a realtor standpoint, it's they're showing me when you first talk to someone, "I want to buy a house," and they start they give me a list of houses that they really like, and I got to inform them that that's way too much money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that they they probably won't be able to afford it. And usually the soft conversation goes. Why don't you talk to a mortgage lender? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Affordability is everything in my world. Um, so everything in our world is based on the ability to repay that loan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a very popular question, and a great starting point when thinking about buying is to have a conversation with me or someone that does, you know, uh, lending like myself. Um, it's never too early to have that conversation to kind of start that planning in place. So whether you're buying in a month or a year, it doesn't matter when. You want to have that conversation, educate yourself, and kind of prepare yourself. Yeah, I always tell people that um, really once you understand what you need, even if you walk away from that conversation and it's not exactly what you were hoping to hear, because mm-hmm. I remember when I was a lot younger, I was so ready to buy a house. Once I talked to a lender, it was like you're a year away. You're like you're right. a little bit o- away from this, and it it I was crushed. Now I was in my twenties. It was probably two thousand and six or something <laughs> something like that because everyone was buying houses, and uh, um. And it hurt, but it was really good to know. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it felt like, oh, man, I'm never going to get a house. Like, I have, mm-hmm. to, I have to wait two years before I have documented income. And now it's like, oh, that's that's no big deal, uh, having mm-hmm. been through it several times. But, uh, but at the time, it felt like a lot. So what are some of the things that when someone comes to you, what are you asking them? What are you looking for? Sure. Um, and what's, what's going to matter when it comes to qualifying for a house? Yeah, good question. So uh, when I had that initial consultation, that's more of an educational call mm-hmm. where we're just kind of going to gather some information. We're not going to run credit. We're not going to go and look at a pay stub or anything like that. We're just going to uh, ask questions about their credit, their income, and their assets. Okay. And during that call, um, specifically for credit, let's say. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I just want to get an idea of what the range of, of credit is. So is it excellent? Is it good? Is it fair? Is it poor? Okay, that way I know. Okay, if it's poor, we got we got to do some work before qualifying for a mortgage. So I'll, I'll, I can kind of coach that person um, through improving their credit scores or limiting their debt. Okay, um, so as far as credit is concerned, if someone has a credit score over seven hundred and forty, that's considered a plus. Okay, and we'll likely go with conventional financing. Okay, mm-hmm. once you get into the mid six hundreds or lower, then we look at alternative products like FHA or VA. Okay. Um, 
which have kind of relaxed guidelines for someone with with a lower credit score, they still get a good rate. Okay, mm-hmm. versus conventional, um, you know, might not be a bit, a good rate. Might might have high PMI stuff like that. So so you can still get. So so when you're in that mid range credit score, you can still mm-hmm. get a conventional loan. It just it's going to be ter- a higher the terms, rate. Yeah, the terms aren't as favorable. Exactly. And one of the advantages too, an FHA loan. Did you, did you say also VA? VA. And, yep. Um, <clears throat> is that. There's more flexibility as far as credit history, credit score, stuff exactly. Like that goes. Yep. Okay. So you can have a 620 and still get a house, but mm-hmm. you'll get more favorable terms if you go FHA versus conventional. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, believe it or not, the minimum credit score for FHA is 580. Okay. And the minimum for conventional is 620. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, does that ever change? Like how how much has that changed? Hasn't changed in a while, but okay. um, I'd say uh, FHA used to go to 550. Okay. Um, and then things got a little tighter. So the rules kind of change with the market. Now, with FHA, if you have the higher credit score, do you get better terms? No, not necessarily. Okay. You can have an 800 score and a 700 score or a 650 score, and the rates will be similar for FHA. For FHA. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Versus conventional, it's not. Okay. Nowhere nowhere close between a 650 and an 800, let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So when you're preparing yourself to buy a house, obviously the higher the credit score, the better, because that's going to give you the best rate and the best terms of your mortgage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is to make sure you have a good credit score. First, yeah. established credit, right? Well, so if you're a first credit. timer, right? right. Um, you might ha- not have a credit score. Okay. We typically ask for three trade lines. Okay. So for instance, two credit cards and a car will be three. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe a credit card, a student loan, and a car will be three. All right. So we, we prefer to have three. There's alternative products that we can look at. Uh, with less than three, but that's a good rule of thumb. Okay. Now, for someone that is is new to that world, um, you can't just open up three credit cards and then all automatically qualify for a mortgage. Right. Okay. You want some history. We, we want to see payment history because that's going to allow the bureaus to generate a credit score. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you initially apply for a mortgage, the hard inquiry will ding you about ten to fifteen points. Okay. And then um, we're going to use the the middle score out of the three to qualify that person. Uh, real quick, um, the hard inquiry, that's when you're getting the pre-approval, there's a hard inquiry, or is there that is. when you're actually applying for the mortgage? So in the initial stage, yeah. the initial step is a hard inquiry. Good to know. Okay. And that's like a necessary evil. Like I have to do a hard inquiry right. in order to do my job. I can't do a soft pull. Yeah. And the, when you say necessarily evil, it's because if it was just a soft pull or a non-accurate number, then that pre-approval that you're handing in with your offer isn't really going to be worth as much. I can't even do a pre-approval with a, right. with a soft pull. Yeah. Uh, now, there's also, on that note, I know we're like jumping around a little bit here, mm-hmm. but a pre-qualification versus a pre-approval. Sure. Is there a difference? Is it just a term? Or what, what's, what does that mean? Yeah, so a pre-approval is where everything's verified. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've run the credit, we've gathered all the income docs and all the asset documents, so there's not going to be any surprises during underwriting. Mm-hmm. Okay, a pre-qual is more of a conversation, maybe yeah. a credit check, but nothing's verified. Okay. Okay, so when people present offers, no one's really presenting with pre-quals because it's not worth the papers printed on. Yeah, so an agent's going to see that. They're going to be like, oh, wait, this isn't an actual pre-approval. Mm-hmm. And I know this is, a, you know, not to jump too far ahead of ourselves, mm-hmm. but a lot of times an agent will give you a call or you'll, you'll talk to the, the listing agent and actually explain to them that you, you pulled their credit, you did everything, so, um, so you were able to verify everything. Right? Yeah, and that is one thing, the one thing I do when an offer goes in, I'll reach out to the, to the listing agent mm-hmm. and give them praise on the credit income and assets that I've already ver- verified. Yeah, and so anyway, so just 
and and that's just because when people hear like hard inquiry, dinger credit, stuff like that, they get a little bit nervous, a little, yeah. bit, a little nervous. But in the end, that's to your benefit. It really, is. it is. It's like you don't have to do all that, but then again, you don't have to, you know, buy a house. So. <laughs> right. And and in a competitive market, the owner, the seller is going to be looking for little things like that. And if the buyer's motivated, and if they're you know nervous about that, then it's like, well, who? Why would they sell? Try, why would they take their mark? their house off the market for an offer when someone was too nervous about dinging their credit score a little bit to actually get a real pre-approval mm -hmm. to prove that they can borrow the money. So, yeah. Um, Sorry. Right, so we hit the credit scores. Um, yep. What are the other things that you guys are looking for? Yeah. So remember everything's, for? everything's on affordability, right? Yeah. And uh, we look at what are called debt to income ratios. Mm -hmm. Okay. So not only does the credit report provide me with the score, but it also provides me with all their debts. And we look at monthly obligations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, a good debt ratio is anything under like 45% of their income, okay? So if a, if a first-time home buyer, let's say, mm -hmm. knows what their income is, let's say it's 5000 a month, okay? We take 45% of that number, and that's the max debt they can take, they can take on for a mortgage. Okay. Okay? So um, we subtract any existing debts off that number, and whatever's left over is the mortgage payment that they can afford. Now, what existing debts, what does that include? That includes, mm -hmm. you said, car payment, uh, other house payments, if they have another house, sure. obviously. Mm -hmm. um, credit cards, then? Yeah, credit cards. Anything on credit. So yeah. credit cards, car payments, student loans, uh, mortgages, personal loans. But we don't get into utilities. We don't get into child care. Nothing like that. What about child support? Yes, yes. Anything that's court order, we have to count. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, And there's certain rules behind child support, whether you're receiving it or paying it out. Um, but yeah, we do, do consider that alimony, stuff like that. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Yep. But yeah, childcare expenses can be expensive, and they're not included in our calculations. Um, so I always recommend to buyers to create a budget and make sure we're counting everything, cell phone bills, utility bills, child, child care, all that, to make sure they're not going to be house poor. Now, what about what if they're allocating a certain amount of every paycheck to a savings plan, or there's like an automatic savings thing or something like that? Mm -hmm. That doesn't, because that's something they could stop. As long as yeah. they could stop it, the mortgage company isn't quite we're going to go off the gross income that. a lot of times when i'm talking with buyers sellers whoever i differentiate between what they can afford and what they can qualify for mm -hmm. so because you're bringing up the stuff like what the the items that don't show up on a debt to income uh calculation it doesn't necessarily mean they can afford it just because they can qualify for it and sometimes they can afford more than what they can qualify for for various reasons uh so to me what you can afford is more of like a personal decision and how much you're comfortable with and mm -hmm. how much you need on hand for your living expenses and stuff. Whereas how, what you can qualify for is more a financial question. But in general, from the buyer's standpoint, they're pretty interchangeable too. They are, so. they are. So Tyler recommended put a budget together, yeah. um, put the alternative things that we don't look at, like childcare expenses, utilities, cell phone bill. We don't use that in our calculations. So make sure your, your clients are putting a budget together and don't overextend yourself. Okay, you can alleviate a lot of stress by, you know, putting yourself in a good position um, when you're buying a home, right. rather than trying to overextend yourself or buying that dream home where you're stretching out that payment. You never know what could pop up. So, um, there, there's a common denominator with people with good credit. Mm -hmm. Typically, they don't, they have lower debt ratios because they don't overextend themselves. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I guess the next thing was cash on hand. Yes. So yes. I. When I was a first-time home buyer years ago, that was the biggest hurdle that we faced. And you know, back in the last 
big recession crash. Um, what are you looking for with cash on hand, and how do you verify that? Sure. So when buying a home, not only do you need money for your down payment, but you also have closing costs, which a lot of first-timers don't realize there's a lot of costs involved when buying a home. Yeah. So there's a lot of parties that get people to the finish line, right? So there's people like myself and appraisers and title companies, realtors, insurance people. There might be 40 people that touch that file from start to finish. All those different parties charge fees, Mm -hmm. okay? So up front, um, I want to make sure that they have enough money for their down payment and to cover all all your closing costs as well. Well, on top of that too, you also have escrows, right? Yeah, yep. So you have to have that money ready. So so basically on top of your you know, on top of those fees, you have to have, I, it depends on the area and there's different calculations, but yeah. basically a year or so of cash in the, or yeah, of cash in the bank mm-hmm. in an escrow account for the taxes. Yeah. A whole year of taxes, a whole year of insurance. Yeah. There's going to be some interest all on top of your closing costs. Okay. Yeah. So typically closing costs, well, not typically, but sometimes closing costs are higher than your down payment, depending on like the price point and how much you're putting down. Right. Yeah. I remember... <laughs> I wonder. I hope it was my first house. Maybe it was my second house. And I remember. I remember buying a house uh, years ago, and I remember calling the, the lender, and I was like, "What's with all these costs? Like, yeah. like this this is high. Like, I knew it'd be high, but this seems really high." I I thought he was like pocketing some of it or something. No. And he uh, and he explains it to me, and I'm like, "But I'm I'm paying taxes, but I'm paying my taxes now in my mortgage payment because I kind of understood what was going on." He goes, "No." You're paying next year's taxes now, like, you know, not, not, but there's basically like, there's that padding because the bank wants to make sure that those taxes are already paid for as, as far as possible, at least a year in advance. Yeah. Um, because the bank doesn't want the government coming in and, you know, taking their collateral away. Mm-hmm. So both insurance and taxes are paid in advance. So yeah. you're always paying ahead. Right. Right. So, um, so for instance, let's say we're closing today, you have to pay a whole year of insurance. Now you're covered for a full year. But in addition, we collect every month yeah. to cushion that escrow for next year's bill. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. makes sense. Um, now, as far as where that money comes from, that cash on hand, because mm-hmm. um, that's another question too. Well, it's like, well, can you borrow the money from a parent or you know to uh, to put down on a house? Yeah. So a good rule of thumb is you can't borrow money to borrow money. Right. Okay. Unless it's your own. So for instance, I've seen people take loans from their own four hundred one k. Mm-hmm. To supplement their down payment, there's there's that going on. Now, um, with, r- real quick, would that mm-hmm. count against their debt to income ratio? No, no, because that's going to be pre-tax. Okay. Yep. And then um, I've seen people get gifts mm-hmm. from family members. Can only come from immediate family. The gift amount is unlimited. Whereas in the past, it used to, there used to be caps, but not anymore. Okay. And um, usually that's accompanied by a letter of some sort that says this is a gift. It doesn't have to be repaid. Yeah. So, you know, you had mentioned loan from parents. We yeah. don't, we just call that a gift. Okay. <laughs> right. So that's just a gift. What happens afterwards is up to them. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Obviously savings, checking, investments, there's other, other avenues as well. So when we're going through our consultation initially, mm-hmm. I educate them on the cash that they need to qualify. And then we've tried to figure out ways that we can come up with the cash. And if we can't, um, then they know they've got to save up. What about seasoning that money? Um, don't you? Because you look at you look at bank statements too, right? So, sure, sure. So if that money was dropped into the account, it's within the last couple of months or so. Yeah, we're gonna go back two months of bank statements. Two months, okay. okay. And if there's any large deposits in there, then we're gonna want to know where the source came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mostly that's because you need to make sure it wasn't another loan. Yeah, loan. It could be mattress money, like any. Yeah. It, it has to be verifiable. 
Okay. okay. Uh, uh, money from a friend, that's not verifiable. We can't count that. Right. All right. So any large deposits are going to be red flagged, and we're going to in, investigate a little bit further, find out where the money came from. Now, let's say they sold a car, and they sold it for cash. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a private sale. How do you verify that that money where that money came from in a situation like that? A uh, copy of the check and a copy of the bill of sale. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Um, so if you are selling a car for cash, keep the keep that keep all the paperwork. Keep that paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna it's gonna come back to you. Gotcha. We're gonna need that paperwork. Um, so once you have that number, so once they talk to you, would they have that number? Yeah. On hand? So we yeah. we went through the credit conversation, right? Yeah. Now I know what program they're going for. I know how much debt they can take on. Then we go through the assets. We also go through the income, which is a big proponent of what they can qualify and what they can afford. Okay. Um, we like consistency. Okay, mm-hmm. we like guarantees. Salaries are great. We love that. Anything variable, though, it takes a little bit more time to calculate the income, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone's paid hourly, overtime, maybe they get bonus, maybe they have commissions. These are all types of variable pay mm-hmm. where we like to see history or track record. Okay, <clears throat> think of it from the underwriter standpoint. They're putting their name in the line, right, for this loan. They want to make sure it's not going to foreclose, right. right? So they're using this income calculation to to. Um, come up with that decision to render a decision right so they like consistency what about something like servers cash tips stuff like that it's tricky yeah it's tricky um when you're in a cash business yeah sometimes they don't show as much on papers what they really make that comes back to bite them when it comes to time to get a mortgage yeah mm-hmm. so if you're thinking of buying a house it's good to try to have documented income Absolutely. You know, yep. Even if it's not and, something you've done in the past, but you're you're probably going to have to do some of that. And and we like consistency. Like yeah. I've seen people on the job for six months as a server, and then six months as a landscaper, and then six months as something else, and so forth. That's not consistent income. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's different lines of work and stuff like that. So we we like to see consistencies. If someone does have seasonal work or something like that, um, if it does repeat every year, mm-hmm. like it's going back and forth and stuff, mm-hmm. do they just look? Do they just go back farther and be like, okay, well, you've you've done this. We can average this out a little bit more. Exactly. Like we want a two-year history. That's the magic number is two years mm-hmm. for any type of employment. We like to see a two-year history. Okay. Okay. Now, let's say you went to nursing school and you're beginning to become a nurse. You might not need a two-year history as long as they can guarantee you're getting four hours a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. But good rule of thumb is we want to see a two-year history. Now, switching jobs, mm-hmm. that's one of those like, you know, the things you should not do when you're about to buy a house, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, however, sometimes it does happen. Um, is it true that like if you stay within the same industry line work, or yep. line of work, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not always a problem? That's correct, yeah. Okay. So someone gets a new job, let's say, during pre-approval, right? Mm-hmm. So they're already pre-approved, they got a new job. I would want them, I would want to see that offer letter to mm-hmm. make sure that their income is going to be the same or better. Okay. Okay. Um, there are times that we can count the new income, like the day they start the job. Okay. Okay. And then we do some collecting of gather, gather or gather some documents after closing. Yeah. Okay. And that's assuming it's not a salaried position or they have like documented. Salary's problems. easy. That's yeah. Easy peasy. <laughs> if they're not salaried, then we might want them on the job for a little bit longer. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, so with all that, mm-hmm. so that's bas- so that's basically the information that you're getting up front in order to qualify to p- get a pre-approval stuff like that, right? Credit income assets. All right, that's all I need to just educate them, yeah. find out what they can kind of the sweet spot that they can qualify for. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the balls in their court. Whenever they're ready to get pre-approved, they apply with us. We run the credit, 
verify all the income. You did ask about verification of assets. We asked for two months, two right. months of bank statements. Uh, some banks will automate that for us as well, so it kind of keeps the paperwork limited. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once I have all that documentation, it only takes about a day, you get pre-approved, and that pre-approval is good for four months. Yeah. A lot of times people don't understand that there's not necessarily a solid number that you'll be able to give them because they, they go through all that and they say, okay, I'll look at – so I'll look at houses up to what, 400, mm-hmm. 450, 250, whatever it is, and you'd be like, well – it, there's some variables there, mm-hmm. and you'd say, "Give me the give me the address, and I'll let you know if you can if you're approved for it or not." Mm-hmm. Uh, buyers, they just want to know. They're sitting at their computer at night. They just want to know how how what they can look for, whether it's mm-hmm. 420, 430, 440. Just just give me that number, and I'll I'll look for something underneath that. Um, can we talk about a couple things that go into the cost of a house and what they're going to be qualified for? Because really, what it is, you're giving them a monthly number. That they Correct. would be qualified for, for mm-hmm. the most part, depending on their credit score, program, and down payment. Uh, but it's mostly a monthly payment that they're looking at, right? Yeah, and we call it PITI. Yes. Principal Interest Taxes Insurance. P-I-T-I. Yep. All right, so it's not just the mortgage payment, but we have to also add in the taxes on the property and the homeowner's insurance and possibly mortgage insurance if there's any PMI, which is less than 20% down. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's the total payment, not just the mortgage payment. Right. Okay. And that's all part of that 45% debt ratio calculation. All right. So what we do, we take the all the debts that they currently have, add the mortgage, and we want that to be within 45%. Mm-hmm. Now, when I do my initial consultations, I start off with the 45%, knowing that we can actually go a little bit higher if we have to. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's a good kind of um, comfort level or... Like a target. To yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <clears throat> like some other things like... Uh, HOA fees. Yeah, that's in so there. that's going mm-hmm. to affect your your pity payment, your your mortgage payment, mm-hmm. and what you can afford. So you know, on a practical level, you're looking at a place that's 150 thousand, and and then you're looking at condo that's 150 thousand, but there's a 250 dollar HOA or condo that's fee. Gotta knock out that debt ratio. Yeah, so that's going to be a completely different uh, affordability factor than something that doesn't have that. Now, mm-hmm. if the taxes are lower over here mm-hmm. and the taxes are a lot higher over there. That's going to affect it as well. Yes, you're exactly right. Yep. And property taxes vary, like in this local area here. Yeah. You know, Coatesville might be the highest, downtown might be a little bit higher, but then Westchester's a little bit lower, Malvern's lo- lower, and stuff like that. So it really depends on neighborhoods and everything, too. Yeah. And a lot of times when you see a drop in house values, it might be because the taxes are a little bit higher in that area. Sure. Um, could be because the HOAs are, are, are really high, too. So it's mm-hmm. something that, you know, you need to look at um and kind of goes back to the whole question of what can i actually afford right so yeah you might be able to afford four hundred thousand at a certain monthly payment but at that same monthly payment in another area maybe that's 420 right right interest rates have a lot of a factor on that too uh yeah we've been seeing interest rates go go up and you know people i spoke with six months ago might not qualify for that same price point today yeah and that also affects the sellers too sure so you know i we keep going it's com- it's commonly understood that when interest rates go up that means that the buyers can buy less mm-hmm. but when the buyers can buy less the sellers that's going to affect the housing Lower de- prices lowers the demand so in the macro view of things mm-hmm. it's really the sellers that get hurt because those same houses are going to have to drop in price 
if the interest rates go up in a way degree. in a way um yeah. i mean buyers are paying more though too they feel it yeah. the buyers are the ones they, who, yeah. who end up feeling it or at least feel it first so we have our initial consultation okay yeah. we're talking about their credit their income and their assets remember we're not pulling credit we're not looking at a pay stub we're just educating them mm -hmm. okay by the end of the call that buyer will know what price range they qualify for what their monthly payment's going to look like how much cash they're going to need to save up Okay. okay so now they they can exhale they're like okay well i can i can make this happen right then the ball's in their court whenever they're ready to get pre-approved like i said it could be a month could be a year right it's all the same things we're looking at okay when it comes time to pre-approve they apply online they supply their documents it's good for four months i always tell people that once you're ready to hop in a car to start looking at houses mm -hmm. that's when you want to have your pre-approval done okay okay it's not wise to go out looking at houses without a pre-approval mm -hmm. because that house might be get sold under your from under and you know you might have fallen in love and now you're heartbroken yeah and then you get all angry because like mike where were you i <laughs> called you at 10 p.m to yeah, get my pre-approval yeah. yeah right no no but uh we work weekends and stuff we understand that real estate doesn't sleep do your best but you are yeah. human right i we do have family yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so i i try to tell people you know it's it's just a matter of if you want to you want to be in the best position possible right and that means getting prepared as early as possible so that when the opportunity arises you can shoot. you're ready to go yeah do not look at houses go look at house no pre-approval and then rush through it it's a major decision most people only buy one or two houses in their lifetime right so it's best to be prepared cool yeah um anything else or um so um, establishing credit remember yeah. we like to see three active trade lines mm -hmm. okay it might take six six months to a year to establish credit if you're just starting mm -hmm. okay so definitely prepare yourself in that in that fashion okay cool. okay if you want to get in touch with me there's links below okay uh, there's a link to apply online if you want to mm -hmm. skip that and or you can just schedule a call by clicking the other link okay cool yeah we'll put those links in the description and yeah. uh, and if anyone you know for some reason they, they can't get to those links, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Sure. My website is michaelizzi.com. M-I-C-H-A-E-L-I-Z-Z-I.com. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. I yeah, really appreciate it. Today. It, was, right. it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. This has been the Chester County Real Estate Podcast. Brought to you by REMAX Ace Realty. Serving buyers and sellers in the Chester County area. Subscribe for new episodes at acerealtypa.com slash podcast. And you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and wherever podcasts are found. This episode is brought to you by REMAX Ace Realty in Downingtown, PA. Whether you're looking to buy or sell a home, we have a real estate expert for you. Search for homes or contact an agent at acerealtypa.com.